another great opportunity today on Like It Is to have an educational and interesting and most of all, a very important conversation, Terry Strada. It's great to have you with us. You are the chair, the national chair of the 9-11 Families United. And for Americans who don't understand what that is, they should be thankful for you and for your presence. You represent over 9,000 family members, victims from that awful day back on 9-11, including your late husband, Tom. I really appreciate what you're doing and for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a very important topic. It is, and it's important, not just in the world of politics, but in the world that I operate in um, very closely, the world of golf. There is a lot happening, but I want to start with the important issues that you all are working on. And before we get into that, I know you've talked a lot about your husband and that day and what happened. If you would, just just kind of take us through. I think any American who was alive then, I know where I was on that day. Your experience on 9-11 was much different than mine. Yes. Um, I was home with my three children who were seven, four, and four days old. Tom had gotten up that morning like he does every day and left for work. He was planning on coming home early since we had a newborn in the house. So we said our goodbyes and he left. And, oh, I guess shortly after the first plane hit, he telephoned home and he got to talk to me. And it was a very difficult phone call to have. Um, I've called it both a blessing and a curse, a blessing for him, possibly a curse for me, because the last time I spoke with my husband was very frightful, panicked, and I had dozens of friends in the building also at work with him at Cameron Fitzgerald, who's on the 104th floor of the North Tower, and I feared for all of their lives. And as the day went on, it became apparent that nobody from Cantor Fitzgerald was able to escape and it was just been a horrible nightmare since then. I don't want to ask you specifics. Um, I'm sure you relive it every day. But what was what was his message? Was he aware of what was going on? He was very panicked that he was going to go to the stairwells and try to get out. The, I cannot imagine the enormity of the noise that crashed when that jet hit their building. I know that the building swayed. It felt like it was going to tip over, um, and it did not at that moment. So the amount of fear, that's what I heard mostly was just fear in his voice, and it was just a horrible thing to, you know, to have to experience. Since that day, you've been working hard, and this, the commission that you're chairing, this national commission, has, <laughs> I, can't, I cannot imagine what all has gone into it. How did, how did Families United come about? It started, I started in 2002. Uh, when I joined a lawsuit with a law firm down in South Carolina to hold the bankrollers of the attacks accountable. And back then, very early on, um, everything was pointing to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And also, the President Bush was out telling us that there was no state sponsors of the attack, and that simply wasn't true. Um, 9-11 did not happen in a vacuum. And I didn't know anything about Al-Qaeda. I didn't know anything about jihadism. I didn't know anything about how much hatred there was for Americans and where it all stemmed from. So the questions of why, how, and who really became a burning force for me. And other families joined on the lawsuit. And, and I mean, I was just in the first 300. I didn't even begin the lawsuit. The Burnett family started it. And it's been our goal and our mission to hold accountable the nation that is responsible for 
the September 11th brutal, brutal attack against our country. And most of the evidence, most of the time, leads to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And a lot of these documents have been classified. There recently has been a declassification. I will get to that in just a little bit. But what at, at what point, because, yes, there was a different direction right after 9-11 happened in terms of where the United States and the government focused. At what point did you start to see that shift towards Saudi? Well, I've never seen the shift towards Saudi with our government, not with the administration, any administration, from Bush to Obama, Trump until we got to President Biden. And like you said, we'll talk about that in a minute. So we have been fighting our own government this entire time. They are the ones that have withheld the information from us. They are the ones that have buried the information from us and they have deflected and and not stood by our side. The administration is very different from Congress. Congress has always been on our side and Congress has always worked with us to accomplish our goals. So we had to actually enact legislation called the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act to um, enable us to finally hold the kingdom in the courtroom. So the courts were misinterpreting the law. They were dismissing them on sovereign immunity, which they are not entitled to. Nobody is if you're involved in a terrorist attack. So we had to write, write, write legislation. It had to get enacted. That took seven years. I got on board and spent four years of my life as a single mother living in New Jersey, traveling down to D.C., working on this legislation. It has been a very difficult road because the Saudis play very dirty. And if they were innocent and they had nothing to hide, then they would welcome the opportunity to go into a courtroom and present their side. But that is not what they do. They instead uh, bully and, you know, they only know a couple of ways of doing business. They'll bribe you, they'll threaten you, or they'll kill you. Mm. I don't see them ever doing anything else. They don't negotiate, they're not in good faith, and they don't, and they're not honest brokers. So, you know, this is a terrible regime to deal with. And this is where we are now as we're coming up to what we're going to talk about with the golf league. It's just been a nightmare fighting them, but we are, um, we are making great strides. Well, they are cowards. We have seen not only what they did in 9-11, we're watching the war in Yemen. We know what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, what has happened with women being tortured. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to Lena Alhathlul and her sister, who was in prison for 1,001 days, and the torture that she suffered. Of course, you continue to suffer that torture every single day, as do all the victims of 9-11. Why is there pushback? I, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. Osama bin Laden... Saudi. Why has there been pushback constantly from every single administration until recently? Their desire to protect the kingdom over America's interests is mind boggling. Um, You know, some people will say it's the oil. Well, we became oil independent and we don't need their oil, but we didn't under the Trump administration. So that's not it. There's just more to this geopolitical landscape than I can probably get into with you on this podcast, but they have chosen the Saudis over Americans. It's our loved ones are collateral damage. You know, they just don't want to force the kingdom to own up to their responsibility that they have to the 9-11 community and to the United States of America. Uh, Why they cower to the Saudis, and that's what I call it. It's the Saudis, you're absolutely right, are cowards, and our Department of Justice cowered to them for two decades. And you finally got some traction, as you said, as we alluded to just a moment ago. I believe it was last fall when President Biden declassified some documents. 
before I yeah. ask you about those documents, I'm curious, you've been fighting this battle for years. What was your reaction to that? Yeah. So, you know, I'll just give your audience a little background that we started working with Congress again to get this um, Transparency Act passed in Congress for all of these documents. And Senator Menendez headed it up and we introduced the 2021 9-11 Transparency Act. And within a few weeks of that, the administration took up the language of that legislation and turned it into an executive order. And then when the president signed the executive order, which commanded the Department of Justice to go back and do a declassification review of all of the documents pertaining to the Saudi investigations, that's when we started to see evidence released that has never been seen before, troves and troves of documents, thousands and thousands of pages. Um, there's a website that it's all on. It's incredible to see. A lot of it is still blocked out to you or me or your viewers, but our representatives that are representing us in court are allowed to see most of it. But what was shocking in there was how many Saudi diplomats that had diplomatic credentials that were sent here to the United States by the kingdom to work in the Ministry of Islamic Affairs and that there was this very toxic program that they created. It was anti-American, pro-jihadist. They were extremists. And they were here in this country setting up the support network that was needed for probably all of the hijackers. We are focused on the first two arriving hijackers in California in our lawsuit. But there had to be a support network in place. These Saudi nationals that were on the Saudi government payroll, like I said, with these credentials, were working through the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C. and a consulate, their consulate out in California. And they had handlers um, meeting the hijackers. And one of the handlers was being paid directly by Prince Bandar, who was the Saudi ambassador to the United States at the time and sitting on the Truman balcony with President Bush three days after September 11th, smoking a cigar, asking him to please get all Saudi nationals that are in the United States out of the country. And they took private jets and that's exactly what they did. They removed all of the Saudis out of this country. They couldn't be questioned. And it has just been that type of a nightmare ever since. So you start reading these things. Have you had any communication with, with President Biden? Well, we wrote him a very strong letter recently um, insisting that he, you know, he's obligated now with this evidence that's been released to address this with Mohammed bin Salman when he goes over to the kingdom next month. Because um, now there's phone records. We never had phone records before. So it's astonishing to see that these diplomats, while they were making phone calls out west to where the hijackers were, they were also talking to al-Qaeda operatives in the same day. It's You can see now with bank records how one of the handlers who was a ghost employee um, for a Saudi aviation firm never went to work there. He also had a student visa, how his salary increased tripled when the first hijackers arrived. There's witnesses, witness reports now. So this was, this is all coming, mostly coming from a 10-year uh, private secret investigation into the Saudis. It's called Operation Encore that the FBI conducted. And this is what our government buried from us for years. But yeah, it's shocking, but it's there now. Every other administration that's ever gone over to the kingdom, the kingdom has said, we're you know, we're innocent. There's no proof of us. We, we did nothing wrong. 
But now the evidence is there. This is the difference between President Biden and every other administration. It's his obligation. He took an oath to protect America's interests, and that's what he needs to do. He needs to confront MBS with this evidence and say, well, what are we going to do about it now? He once called him a pariah, and now he's going to meet with him. And that's that's kind of how MBS and the Saudis, they win, and they're trying to win in all sorts of ways. Before we get to golf, how do things stand with the lawsuit? What's next? I believe that witness expert witness testimonies or depositions are concluding um, right about now. And so, you know, what happens next, that'll be up to the judge on how she, you know, directs the calendar. Uh, but we follow it very closely. And with all of this new evidence, you know, that will all be submitted and new arguments. It's it's a very long, drawn out, ongoing battle, but that's where we're at. Where where are the documents? You said they're available online. What's that? Address? Yeah, there's an FBI um, vault that okay. you can go to and you can see them. I mean, a lot of them are very heavily redacted and that could be frustrating to the average person. Um, but when I see them and I, and I know what I'm looking for, I can definitely be very surprised by it. And like I said, the representatives can see much, much more than I can. And that's really all that matters. Yes, I'd like the public to see all of it. I wish we could. There's a protective order on our lawsuit. That's why you don't see it in the media uh, as much as I would like it to be. And that's at the insistence of the kingdom. They went into the courts and they said this all has to be under protective order. They didn't want the media in. And I don't know why the judge allowed it, but they did. And we're working on getting that lifted as well so that the media can report on this and the American people can see more. It is amazing what money can do. And we are seeing that all across the board. Terry, I never thought that we'd be having this conversation in this day and age. I thought if there was one thing that Americans could finally be united on and forever remain united on was how horrible that day was. This whole infiltration by the Saudis and sport washing, you know, we've seen it in in soccer. We've seen it in, in Formula One racing. They're big into gaming. And now here we go, the battle into golf. And it just seems to be getting worse. I'm very active on social media and I can't tell you how disheartened I've been watching the reaction and people supporting this tour and forgetting the direct impact of the Saudi government on 9-11. And once again, we're seeing Americans divided. We're seeing athletes divided. You and, and, and your commission, you all recently penned a letter to American golfers and Phil Mickelson, I think, was one of the people directly asked about it. How did, I guess, first of all, when you started hearing about this whole live golf idea, I mean, you go from from 9-11, you go to Khashoggi, all these things that keep happening that the Saudis continue to get away with. Mm -hmm. What was your reaction when you heard about live golf? The first time I spent a while, you know, when I read about it probably a year ago, that the idea of it. I don't know how far along it was at that point, but that's when I first read about it. And I just cringed. And I just thought, oh, God, this can't be happening. Um, and I didn't understand the full extent of it either. So now that I know more, I'm just appalled at it because it isn't about creating another sports entity to compete with the PGA or any other entity. It's sports washing. They're trying to cleanse their past, their past reputation, and they're trying to look like a respected regime on the world stage. 
and they don't deserve respect. You can't buy it. You have to earn it. And they've done nothing to earn the respect that they're trying to obtain. So they're using, you know, this wonderful time-honored sport with beautiful traditions and history and values and taking it and creating an entity that is nothing more than an exhibition golf, you know, from what I can see, right? I mean, I don't know all the details of it, but from what I can see that these players are just going to play against each other a couple of times a year, eight times a year. Everybody wins a prize, right? Everybody gets a trophy in this league. So where's the real competition? Where do you improve the sport, which is what they're claiming? Uh, I'd have to say, yeah, Phil Mickelson is a huge disappointment, but Greg Norman might be the biggest disappointment because he's their spokesperson. So now he's out there and saying things as ridiculous as, well, everybody does business with them. So what's the harm in us doing business? You're not doing business. You are now their mouthpiece. You are now propagating for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, I don't know how that just doesn't make your skin crawl. He might as well have his profile photo on Twitter with MBS because that's exactly what he's doing. He's lifting him up. Your late husband was a fan of Phil Mickelson's. He was a golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, what would what would he say about what's going on? Well, I probably really can't say it on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're not on cable. <laughs> you know, a few choice words, and it wouldn't be pleasant. You know, he would just be disgusted like we are, like I am. I've been a fan of Phil's past 9-11 because my kids have grown up watching golf, playing golf. And what a charismatic player, you know, to watch, to root for. And to feel this type of betrayal um, from them is is disheartening, upsetting. um, But my husband would probably cut him down pretty good. It has to be even more disappointing for someone like you, knowing your late husband's connection with golf, knowing how much of a fan he was of Phil's. I am sure that you've seen the press conference. Christine Brennan was at the U.S. Open, and she directly asked Phil about your letter and the letter of Families United. He didn't answer it. He said that he had empathy and sympathy. Who cares? You have you have enough empathy and sympathy to last you a lifetime. You don't need that. You need answers, and he wouldn't right. give it to you. What were your thoughts as you were watching him sort of try to evade what she was asking? Well, I thought he was rude to her when she was preparing her what she was going to ask him when he said to her, you know, is there a question in there? I mean, just the disdain that he showed her it was – I was taken aback by that. Although now I'm starting to hear from some people that Phil is not as nice as he's, as people perceive him to be, that there is this other side of him, which he's showing. Um, And I was just, again, disappointed that he has no other answer than it's all about the money. They're just going to take the money. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's how they're all acting. Uh, I heard one of them say it was a good business plan. And I want to say, really? I don't even have a MBA. I don't have a business degree, and I can tell you this is not a good business plan. So they were given talking points by the kingdom. And this is what's so hard to watch, that they're all just becoming a bunch of talking heads for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Like, when did that become a thing? Oh, $200 million. That's what it get, you know, that's when you'll do it. You'll sell your soul for $200 million. You'll turn your back on the PGA. You'll betray your countrymen uh, for $200 million. I don't know what to say to them other than, you know, they, I've said they should be ashamed. 
look, there's more choice words I'd like to use myself. Um, they are just, you know, a disgrace at this point. Is this how MBS wins? Well, it's how he's trying to win. You know, I don't think he's going to win overall because of the pushback that they are seeing from a lot of people, not just me. Yes, the 9-11 community is very upset. And we're going to keep the pressure on. We're going to remain a thorn in his side. He knows until he ever admits to what his country did and takes responsibility for what his country did, that the 9-11 community is not going away. And we're not going to shy away. We're going to keep up our fight. We're going to keep um, pointing out and educating. You know, I feel bad that the media doesn't understand how important it is to keep the light focused on 9-11, to pressure the kingdom to accountability. You know, maybe we'll get there someday, but no, he's not winning. He's not winning yet in my book. Well, good. And because of people like you, hopefully he will continue to keep having to fight these battles and, and not win easily because there are a lot of battles to fight um, without getting too deep into golf. And, and I know that I think that this is one of the things that is hard for me. And you talk about education. This is a topic off of this live golf that, that matters to me a lot. You know, obviously I care about the sport. I care about nine 11. I care about the American lives that were lost. I care about Khashoggi and his family and the way that they continue to treat women over in Saudi Arabia. MBS and the Saudi regime are not only trying to infiltrate golf through the men's side, even worse, and what upsets me more is on the female side. And it's unfortunately a conversation that's not being talked about enough, I guess, because the money isn't as high, but they already have six tournaments on the ladies European tour. One of those events is in Saudi Arabia. I cannot imagine as a woman stepping foot in Saudi Arabia. I cannot imagine as American stepping foot in Saudi Arabia. Um, as I sort of, as we discuss that and you hear those words and you couple it with being a woman and knowing what you've been through with, with 9-11, how dangerous is that? I think it's very dangerous for any woman, like you just said, an American woman to step foot in the kingdom. I wouldn't trust them. I wouldn't trust my life to, you know, to return home safely. I wouldn't trust to not be possibly, you know, hurt there and, and have anything done about it because they bury everything. So uh, you wouldn't really have a voice there. You wouldn't have protection there. Um, so i would be very nervous and afraid of going there from what I've heard from contractors that have ever just been over there to work. They stay exactly on the base or the compound where they're contracted to work. They don't leave. You cannot go out into that country and, and be safe. So I, it's, it upsets me too. And that would be my message. If you care about your safety, I wouldn't do it. If you care about being an American, I wouldn't do it. Um, if you only care about the money, then you have to be prepared to not have the protection that you might get anywhere else in the world, um, and your safety could be at risk. There are big questions whether this Live Golf will try to make some sort of takeover of the LPGA Tour like it's doing 
uh, of the PGA Tour right now in that attempt. This this hostile takeover is what yes. what I call it, and that's exactly what they're trying to do. There is no business model for this. No. There there is no business in the world no. that would write off on this because it makes no sense. You're going to invest two billion dollars that you're you have no chance of getting back. I mean, it's no. it's a laughable fifty four hole shotgun. It's it's a exactly it's a series yeah, it's not so a just, tour just but an exhibition game at this it's point. an exhibition right and and i love how you put it everybody gets everybody gets a trophy only their idea of trophies are you know millions and millions of dollars because again saudi's trying to to buy uh their whitewashing and that's yeah. what they're doing yeah but, they want to whitewash their history and they're trying to buy respect they're trying to correct look you know like they're not the horrible regime that they are and it's yeah i would be really upset too now if they try to go after the women's league um and would like to warn them as much as they can possibly do that don't don't take their money you'll become a mouthpiece and you will lose the ability to play like the lpga and the pga all these wonderful tours with all this great history in it um i you know i, I can't imagine what it would feel like to no longer you know when you win something have your family come running out and your, your children, your parents, your, your significant other high-fiving your caddy because you've just won this historic event. You know, that's what happens when you win in the PGA. When you win and live, you just look around and go whoopee, you know, and go to the bank with your paycheck. I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm, and I hope it, I hope it is not, is not successful. What would what would your message be to the LPGA tour commissioner? Now, in her defense, this they do have controlling interest of the Ladies European Tour. However, this deal was signed before she took over as commissioner. And it doesn't exist on the LPGA tour. I'm expecting that they will try their best to fight it off and do what the PGA tour has done and and maintain the integrity of the league. I have no doubt about that. But I do think that there's a big opportunity for education to educate these young players who may not know about everything that you've been through, who may not have been born on 9-11, who may not understand what women continue to go through. What do you think can be done right now, Terry, to help sort of keep that tour at bay and maybe appeal to these women, to these young women, in terms of, of just basic humanity, morality, all these things that we should care about as human beings? Right. And maybe they also need to question and ask themselves, you know, why did they pick up that golf club in the first place? Why did they work so hard, you know, as a young person through their high school years? I'm sure they've all played, you know, for a very long time because they had this deep desire to someday be on the LPGA. And what a what a wonderful, you know, accomplishment that is. And if you consider going to live or if live, you know, does try to do a hostile takeover of the women's golf as well, you know, just stand up and, and say no and don't allow it. Why would you want to turn your back on your country like some of these men have already done? And why would you want to um, promote the kingdom of Saudi Arabia's, you know, this? You, you, why would you want to be a spokesperson for a country that does do all of these horrible things? Um, just ask yourself that question. Do you really want to become a mouthpiece for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia? Because that's all you'll be. Mm, I think that's very well said. How do you how do you sleep at night? I mean, it's been a long time, but I'm sure that this still haunts you every day. You're fighting these battles. Um, how much how much do you deal with it every day? Not just outwardly, but for you personally. 
it's just still really hard. So it's just one day at a time. It's what it's been like for the last 20 years, just one day at a time. You're a brave woman and you're a good American. And um, I just, th I thank you. I'm sorry for what you've been through. And I wish that I could do something to help stop what's happening, especially in the game of golf. But I hope that the players can hear this, especially on the ladies' side. I hope that fans can hear your message because they don't need to be listening to Phil Mickelson. They don't need to be listening to Greg Norman. They need to be listening to you. They need to be listening to the real victims um, from the Saudi government that continue to happen every single day, Terry. Yeah, well, thank you so much with you know, your platform. We'll reach a lot of people and that's why I agreed to come on and I appreciate you having me.